Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Joelle. Today we are joined by Bill Lowe, CEO and President of Chicago Methodist Senior Services. At CMSS, you'll find an inviting community ready to support you in all the ways you need. They offer older adults a full range of services and residential options provided by expert staff who take an innovative, person-centered approach to care. With their life-enriching programs, a network of support that caters to you as a person, and a staff of caregivers that feel like family, you'll know you're in the right place at 1415 West Foster. Welcome, Bill. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm great and so glad to be here. Well, we're so glad to have you. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? What brought you to CMSS? Sure. Well, it was a little while ago that I started there. Later this year, I'll celebrate my 30th year with the organization. Before that, I had started my career in the acute care side. I was an accounting undergrad in college. And my first job out of school was at Rush Hospital in the accounting department. And uh, through a couple of iterations in my first uh, decade of the career, uh, after that, I ended up at uh, CMSS. Are you from Chicago area originally? I am. Yes, a lifelong Cubs fan, and I learned the streets by taking the bus down to Wrigley Field as a 10 and 11-year-old, actually. The roots of Chicago Methodist Senior Services can be traced back to 1896. Can you talk about the history of CMSS and how it has expanded over the years to better serve the changing needs of the community? I sure can. Uh, we were formed in 1896 by uh, Mrs. E.E. E. Hartwell, but then uh, moved to, a few years later, moved to the corner of uh, Foster and Glenwood, where our flagship Wesley Place skilled nursing facility is still located. So any day in the 20th century, you walk past uh, that site and some semblance of our organization would have been there. And you have a, another building called Hartwell Place, is that correct? We do, yes. We, uh, we, in the late last century, we bought the convent for St. Gregory's Church at uh, Polina and Gregory. And uh, after my first and only gut renovation, we opened up a uh, wonderful memory care facility that's uh, really intimate and, uh, and very appropriate for uh, that type of care. And any other uh, new communities in the works? Well, we, we've added a lot of programs. I guess if you dial back to uh, when I started in 1989 with the, with the organization, we just had the skilled nursing facility, Wesley Place, and across the alley was uh, just about to open the following fall was Winwood Apartments, which is our 31-unit HUD building. Uh, Low-income housing has always been important in this neighborhood, but especially since we've really gentrified over the last 20 years. And so it's harder and harder for people to stay in the community. And one of the things that we uh, try to do is to make a dent in that affordable housing uh, shortfall. So driving to work one day in the early 1990s, I saw a 13-flat apartment building just up the block to the south on Glenwood. We purchased that building, we renovated it, and then uh, converted it perpetually to uh, for low-income seniors. So uh, every other, that was before every other 12-flat or six flat, and it became a condo. So we feel really proud that we've been able to preserve some of the housing stock for affordability. And Bill, what does a typical day look like for you at CMSS? Well, of course, it's uh, it's varied as the CEO, but I can tell you that among the duties that I have, you know, at least once a month, is new hire orientation. I always uh, address uh, staff at that uh, that. It's not necessarily their first day of work, 
but uh, their formal orientation to the organization. And I feel like that's an opportunity for me to set the tone, talk about the culture, talk about the way we support them as employees and what they can expect as they uh, move on to be ambassadors for Chicago Methodist Senior Services. So that's one of the things that I take very seriously. We have an extremely diverse workforce. We probably have 250 employees today. And in that population, we have representatives from probably 30 different nations. So we are indeed a melting pot. And that's something that I feel really strongly about. In addition to that, it's, uh, you know, it's setting the course uh, for the organization. Um, being a financial background, I work with the board on you know, presenting and preparing the budget, reviewing monthly financial statements, and just providing overall programmatic leadership for the organization. And of your employees, you know, um, you know, I would assume you would have a nurse, nursing staff, but what kind of, you know, makeup are the rest of the employees? Who do you have kind of employ there? Yes, we have a lot of different uh, departments that are engaged, to say, for example, at Wesley Place. So it's 24, uh, 24-7 care. And believe it or not, despite the fact that person has nursing care and three meals a day and so on, it's actually cheaper to spend a day at Wesley Place than it is at a downtown hotel in Chicago where you just get to sleep for the night. So we're very efficient in our provision of services. But we do have nurses. We have certified nursing assistants who provide the, the direct hands-on care. We have dietary staff, housekeeping staff, laundry staff, uh, program and activity staff, uh, marketing staff, you know, finance, uh, all, all kinds of disciplines. So we, we have an opportunity to, to start actually a lot of careers. We have a lot of entry-level positions. Um, we definitely uh, try to reach out to the community. We look at uh, places like Amundsen High School where not necessarily all the students are going to go straight to a, a college or even a junior college. And we go teach classes there actually once a year and classes on aging. And so we try to expose folks who may not exactly know what they want to do yet for their careers to our organization where they can come and find a safe place to work and maybe find uh, a specialty that fits them and then help support them and encourage them to uh, move on in the educational uh, requirements necessary to fulfill their their goals. And besides, you know, catering to the aging adults, um, you also host events throughout the year, you know, for the community at large. Can you talk about some of those events? And I know you do story time for kids. Um, yeah, we have a, first of all, we have a great, uh, we're a great organization for people to volunteer at. And we are so lucky to be here in Andersonville, where there's a lot of people who are very interested in giving back and giving of their time and talents. And we really leveraged that quite a bit and could not do all that we do without them. But just last week, we had a, a talk on memory care by a friend of the organization who's a published author. And uh, he, he did a great job uh, talking with, oh, got a crowd of about 70 people at Wesley Place in the living room about the issues of uh, memory loss. In his case, it was very personal. His wife developed early onset and, uh, and then the story of his, his time at the end of her life and you know, the challenges and, and troubles that he faced with that. So that's just an example. We do, we do uh, have musical uh, performances all the time, lectures and so on. It's a pretty sophisticated lifestyle. Some of our residents are a little bit compromised, don't get out as much as, as they used to. So we do both. We bring the world 
uh, to them, but also get them out in the world as much as possible. For example, at uh, Hartwell Place, our memory care facility, in the, in the good months, you'll find our, our residents with memory issues strolling the, every Wednesday at the, uh, you know, the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. So we do, we do get out and we also bring in uh, a, a cultural regimen that I think is probably more ambitious than most of us pursue on our own when we're not in a community like that. Your new Sounds of Healing program will use music to promote healing, manage stress, alleviate pain, and encourage engagement among residents. Research has shown the positive relationship music has with the brain and body. Can you tell us more about the Sounds of Healing program and how it's worked into resident care? Yes, I can. This sort of started a few years ago with a program called Music and Memory. And that involved a situation where we had an iPad and then, you know, two listening devices for a guest and the resident to listen to. And so I was actually involved myself with one of the clients who had similar music taste. I'd say she was an ex-hippie. And so we, first time we got together, we just sort of listened to the first 10 seconds of about 100 songs she had. And, you know, we're like, which artist is that? And we were pretty much able to name everyone just about. And so that was sort of an impetus, not just for me, but obviously a lot of volunteers and family members. Some very poignant moments where people who otherwise weren't super communicative, and then all of a sudden they, you know, their spouse put on their wedding song or a favorite song, and you could see, you could just see in their eyes that, that it was really registering. It was, it was very emotional. So based on that success, we really thought, let's, can we go a step further and actually build music into the care plan? And while this is an emerging process for us, it's really something that we are dedicated to having happen. We've hired a, mu- a music coordinator who's working with our medical director, our VP of nursing, social workers, the entire staff. Everybody's committed to, to seeing this happen, and that'll make us pretty unique. And so if someone's having issues of isolation, loneliness, depression, not, not coming out of their shell, we'll try music as, as a therapy. And so far, the early returns are really good. We're confident that this will have a a great effect for our residents. And you've partnered with other institutions like the Civic Orchestra of Chicago, Music Institute of Chicago, Old Town School of Folk Music, and more for this program. Can you speak more about these partnerships and the impact they've had? I can. And I I should say, while we're a longstanding organization, we're a small organization. And even with the the change we've had over over the time I've been there, we certainly have increased dramatically today. We have eight different uh, buildings involved in our service compared to the two when I started. But that's not necessarily a lot of growth over 30 years. That never was our ambition. But just to you know to continue uh, to be relevant. And the only way we can do that economically is by leveraging partnerships. And so we really reach out to some great existing nonprofits. And we've been fortunate uh, for some of those, like the Old Town School of Folk Music, the uh, Civic Orchestra of Chicago, and we, we've had performances with like the, I guess I'll call it like the junior orchestra, like the, the farm club for the real orchestra. And we've had young professionals, gosh, as many as eight, I think, in, in front of our living room, all of them like describing the pieces they're going to play and then playing this amazing music. Our living room has pretty good acoustics. And so it's, it's a great setting and what an opportunity for people to learn about that. But we can't make that happen, you know, without that talent and without that support. Another group is uh, Musicians on Call. It's a it's a nonprofit that started in Nashville. It's in New York, and they just came to Chicago 
and we were one of three agencies they started to work with. We feel we're in pretty good company. The first is Robert Lurie Children's Hospital. The second is Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, which is the Rehab Institute of Chicago's new name, and then us. So we feel like we're an especially good company. All of us are longstanding organizations, but I would say of those three, most people never heard of us, and the other two are, are quite on the map. So this is a, a really great partnership. That brings, a, I, would, I guess, like a strolling musician every Tuesday night after dinner into Wesley Place. This is designed for our short-term patients who are probably going to go home in two or three weeks. They're lonely. They tend to treat it like a hospital. They tend to eat in their room. They don't really think that they want to socialize until they get some opportunities to do mm -hmm. so that are fun. So they, they send, send a well-trained docent and a professional musician who's always very talented and has a, a great bedside manner. And so they go in and, and talk to people who are you know compromised, at least in the short run, and ask if they want to hear a song or two. And by and large, people do. And it seems to really, uh, you know, to really cheer them up and, and bring them a little bit out of their shell. I think any of us who've had a relative or ourselves in a hospital, you do just time the day by the meals. You're interested in getting home and not much else. But here we, I think we end up making, they make some friends. They feel like this is a safe place and uh, it definitely works for, um, you know, for their well-being. And the living room space you referenced is that we've we've hosted an event there uh, before, but um, is this space on the second floor that kind of opens up it is. in the balcony? That's a really yeah. lovely, lovely room. Thank you. And the balcony was just a recent addition. That's been a dream of mine for years to have an outdoor space. And that works out extremely well. It's actually uh, quite luckily effectively located because we get uh, sun in the morning, but by the afternoon... The, sh the building itself provides shade because it faces uh, the balcony faces to the north. I want to say we were there a couple of years ago for our networking event when uh, one of the Cubs World Series games. Yeah, were I think on. it was during 2016 because yeah. everyone was trying to get the TV to. Yeah, yeah. it was in the final stretches. There. Oh yeah, yes. Um, and I was going to say too. Um, CMSS has always participated in Arts Week, which has been really cool to see because a lot of the residents are artists, Yes, which I don't know if everybody realizes. So what opportunities are any of these residents, musicians themselves? How are we engaging uh, their artistic sides? Yes. Um, not too long ago, our chief operating officer was taking piano lessons from one of our 90-year-old residents uh, during, oh, the, cool. during the workday. So yeah, we have some amazingly, like you would expect in any cross-section of people, but some amazingly talented artists and musicians. Uh, a woman at uh, Covenant Home, one of our facilities, is is a songwriter, and she's written some um, poignant but very funny um, songs about her uh, condition, which is Parkinson's. And so she's able to. Artists can always express best when uh, I think when people are facing challenges. You know, those that are blessed with an artistic talent gives them a an, a vehicle to uh, to really move that on. But I, w I wanted to talk a little bit about a partner, Embodied Labs, that's that's really impressive. It's a, it's a virtual reality training tool. And actually for myself, because I'm of a different generation, that was the first time I had a virtual reality headset on. But it's really remarkable. The embodied part of Embodied Labs is when you put on the headset, you become the patient. And these are six or seven minute uh, vignettes, I'll call them. The first one that that I viewed was a person with macular degeneration and was hard of hearing. And usually when someone puts on that headset, they think it's broken because you can't hear or see very well. 
that that's the point. And so for our caregivers to really be able to, for that period of time, be able to see and hear uh, and experience with a 360 degree filming technique, what goes on, it's extremely powerful. And so um, they're constantly rolling out modules. They have uh, ambitions to, uh, in the very near future, release one they're calling the Eden module, which has to do with uh, transgender adults and the, and the situations that they may face that are maybe a little different than, uh, than someone who is not transgendered. So, you know, geared for staff, again, to be able to say, well, this is what it's like to walk, walk in these shoes. And we think that that's, that's extremely powerful. And so we, again, we seem to have lucked into a lot of meeting a lot of really talented people who are committed to this industry. And I think it just speaks to networking. And, you know, our, my personal networking on behalf of the organization goes back um, to right when I started there. And in the early years, I'm looking across uh, at two chamber employees. Uh, back in 1990, there was one chamber employee, the executive director. And for a couple of years, I was actually the chairman of the board of the Chamber of Commerce. And uh, that was still in a transition between it become, moving from a Swedish neighborhood to uh, the neighborhood today that it's become, which is representative of so many different ethnicities and, and so on. It, it's, uh, I'm really pleased to see that my services are no longer required on the chamber board because you've really got a robust uh, retail and uh, restaurant and, and so on. The uh, antique stores, so on and so forth, are just amazing. And this is, this is great. Uh, I spend a lot of time in Lincoln Park. Clark Street's the main drag through there. But I have to say, after the recession of the late aughts, the uh, Andersonville Clark Street has come back so much stronger than Lincoln Park. There's still a lot of vacancies there. So really pleased to be able to uh, matriculate around this neighborhood, come for lunch um, and shopping, and dining. It's, it's really fantastic. That virtual reality program seems amazing. Yes. Yeah, and you'll you'll be able to experience that if you choose to. We we it's, you know, first for our staff but also for family members, the community. We think that um actually we're going to want to engage some of the LGBTQ uh members of the neighborhood to actually help us vet the uh the embodied labs modules, make sure that we actually I should say we're using uh subject matter experts already to write the curriculum and so on, but we want to make sure that it's well received and but what I like about Embody Labs is the uh, CEO, a young woman of 30, who's actually the daughter of the gentleman who came to speak. So it was her mom who died oh, wow. when she was barely 20. She's like a rocket scientist, I'll say, but she's got a heart of gold. And so her mission in starting Embody Labs was to do just what it does, put the caregiver in the shoes of her mom, for example. And so um, she's very great about, like, we're one of the places that they trial uh, the programs with first. Um, we were their first long-term care customer, but it's going to be huge, and I'm pretty sure you all hear about it before too long. Yeah, it's whole, it's so hard to know what someone's going through if it's not visible to you. You exactly. know, it's be, it's different if you you know you have a, a exterior wound, but when everything's kind of going on inside, and and you know, so this is wonderful to hear yeah. that this Some is coming of about, are... and your staff will be trained on this device. So exactly, some of them are extremely poignant, poignant, like the end of life module where you actually are embodied in the person who's at the end of their life. So it's, it could be pretty emotional, if not, if not, depends on how old you are and experiences you've had with relatives passing. But uh, for many people, I'm sure they relate to 
somebody else or perhaps themselves, you know, visualizing that in the future is not, it's not undaunting. And Bill, do you, I'm curious, do you work with any other nonprofits on either of your community campuses? Can you tell us a little bit about other partnerships? Sure. One of the most significant ones is with the White Crane Adult Day Program. This is uh, an adult daycare, which is a modality that's very difficult to operate economically these days. But White Crane does a, a great job in operating their program. And this takes place right on our campus. We're their landlord, in essence, and they do a terrific job supporting older adults who get either picked up by our van or maybe brought by a care partner from the family. And so any day, about 15 or so people are housed on our campus and they participate in, in the programming that not only that White Crane provides, but occasionally they'll come across to Wesley Place if there's something exciting going on there that, that can augment their uh, their programming. So that's a very durable partnership. Uh, they have great leadership at White Crane, and I anticipate them uh, being a very durable corporation, uh, nonprofit corporation, as they go forward. Well, I want to talk about your annual spring benefit brunch coming up on April 27th at the Satterland Cycle Club. This event will raise money for the Sounds of Healing program. Can you tell us more about this annual brunch? Sure. We're really excited about the new venue, which is just up the street from us on Foster Avenue to the east. It's an elegant place for, for a benefit. And so it's a, sort of a typical nonprofit benefit. I think we have a few prongs of ways that people can support us. There's, of course, tickets to the event. We have raffle uh, tickets being sold now. Uh, there's a sponsorship uh, brochure that goes on. And we have a lively silent auction at the event. And so we rely on on this. This is our only fundraiser that we do every spring. And we rely on this to allow us to deliver the little bits of extra programming like Sounds of Healing that are that can be expensive to develop, um, but you know, not affordable from operating revenues. We are a, and we are a 501c3 charity, so anyone who supports that, of course, is tax deductible. And uh, as I said, we rely on that. And as a 120-year-old organization, I always say that I'm managing to the 200th year, but I won't see it. Uh, but I think that's the way we want to think of it as an organization, sort of a perpetual organization. If we make a commitment to provide low-income housing, for example, we don't want to have to change that commitment sell the building to the you know the highest bidder uh, and then have it be converted to condos or taken down and something else go up so we uh, we have to be very uh, cautious and frugal and yet be risk takers too i think that's what i love about this job because i you could probably guess by my undergraduate studies that i am first a businessman but i love the fact that i've never worked for a for-profit corporation i wish i could tell you i planned that when i was a teenager but I had no idea. It was Rush was just the best job offer I got. And then one thing led to another. So, Bill, as you were mentioning, I'm sure you have some maybe past favorite businesses of Andersonville, if you can think of any that you'd like to mention. But while you're thinking of that, do you have a current business of Andersonville that you'd like to trade places with for a day? Oh, that's interesting. Well, my wife and I like to antique. So I don't know the name of the... There's a couple on the block. There's several, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not going to mention any of them, but uh, we frequent all of them. Usually we take a, a, a trip to Andersonville to do our Christmas shopping. We'll go uh, for, we'll cap it off with a dinner at Auntie Prima, but we will definitely hit all the all the shops. And then last uh, couple of years ago, we were right here at uh, Transistor uh, doing some shopping. I'm sure we found some things that were really cool. I heard you talking about vinyl before too. Um, are you a collector? 
I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a collector, but I am definitely a music appreciator. actually call myself a music proselytizer because I really love music that much. And uh, I have oh, probably a hundred vinyl record albums that I play frequently. My routine in college was, you know, to go to sleep to something like Pink Floyd. But uh, today it might be that or, uh, you know, something similar. Uh, I like a lot of music from the 60s, 70s, but it doesn't stop there. You know, I, I sort of, I'm a fan of WXRT, so they do a good job of, of rolling with the ages and still uh, hearkening back to the, you know, the favorite era for a lot of us. I was going to say, you should definitely peruse the collection upstairs here at Transistor. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, we also have the new record shop that opened. I don't know if you're aware of Rattleback um, Records. Oh, I'm not. Well. I have to get there. Definitely. So that is just up uh, north of Balmoral on Clark. Great. Well, thank you, Bill, for being here. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about CMSS, please visit cmsschicago.org. Show notes on today's episode can be found at andersonville.org. Always Andersonville, the podcast, is engineered and edited by Andy Miles in Studio C at Transistor, a gallery, shop, performance, recording, and teaching space located at 5224 North Clark Street. Have your own podcast idea? The studio is available to rent. Please call Andy at 312-631-9408 or stop by the store for details.